Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws podcast with East Forest. I am Mr. East Forest, and I'm back. I'm back from the trip to Costa Rica. I actually got on one of these things called an airplane. It had been a long time, and I made it through. So uh, I'm on the other side, and I want to say thank you to everyone at the Breathe Balance uh, gathering festival that we were at, Rada and I, and for uh, Aubrey Marcus's Fit for Service program was sort of the inspiration for this. And of course, Justin Wren and Fight for the Forgotten because that's what we were doing the benefit concert for. If you haven't heard the Justin Wren episode, uh, look back a few episodes. It's a great one, as they all are. And it was really cool because uh, Justin and I, have, we got to talk on the podcast and we've We've chatted on uh, the phone, texting and stuff, but we'd never really gotten any FaceTime. And boy, what a joy it is to uh, get to see somebody in real life. Imagine that after all this time. Uh, so it, it was a trip. It was a trip to, to go down there and experience you know, 90, 95 degree temperatures, just feeling like heat every day all of a sudden. I mean, it was hot all the time. Even at night, it was probably in the 80s. And, uh, that's wild. <laughs> it's not, wasn't used to that, but it was great to, to see the ocean. That's been a super long time. And I was in Costa Rica one other time, like 15 years ago, actually, like when I first went to Costa Rica, I got some of the very first field recordings that I ever did. And some of those field recordings ended up on the education of the individual soul album, like some sounds of the of the rainforest and some jungles the volcano arnal rumbling all sorts of insects of course water ocean and that was just that is probably 2008 i'm guessing is when we went uh my former partner karina and i and yeah so it was, it was just kind of cool like having that when i was hearing the sounds there it just made me think of that and here we are all these years later and I have a new, some new music coming out. Uh, the new song, Possible, which is the title track off my new studio album, is now finally released. Uh, I will play it at the end. And if you want to hear it in better resolution or in full or just to support the project, you can do that wherever you listen to music. We also have a pre-order now going for the vinyl. The vinyl will not ship until mid-July, most likely. And But if you want to get your dibs on one of those, they're really this beautiful iridescent color vinyl and the artwork has this kind of iridescence and blue to it. So yeah, that's available now and I'll put a link in the show notes down there if you want to stream the song on your favorite streaming platform. Uh, please feel free to do that. This week I have a conversation with Michael Phillip and Michael is has his own amazing podcast called Third Eye Drops, which I was also on. And you, if you like this podcast, you'd probably like his podcast. But he's he's got a great mind and a generous heart, and we get into all sorts of like fun corners of intellectual explorations. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And like I said, check out his podcast also in the show notes down there if you know you want to see what he's up to because... He's got lots and lots of really cool guests. And thanks for subscribing to this podcast, for giving it a review. Five stars is easy to do. You can do it, I believe, more than once. And you can always give a written review. And we really appreciate everyone who takes the time to do that on Apple Podcasts. 
And of course, when you share the podcast with your friends or on social media, and you can always say hi at team at eastforest.org. Um, couple other points of business. Just want to let you know, if you didn't hear, we had to postpone, or I should say cancel, the Salt Lake City May 1st show. That is because the venue has been taken over for mass vaccination sites. So they kicked us out yet again, which is pretty heartbreaking. And we really don't, we've refunded ticket holders and essentially we will, those people will get first dibs when we, we reschedule the date at a new venue when we do find one. We're not sure when that will be, but we will let you know, of course. And as for the other dates that we're working on putting together, we're still working on those. I'm sure you can imagine it's a bit of a challenging process in these times, but uh, they may be in the fall. Uh, We're looking at the summer too, but bottom line is we're working on it. Uh, Adam's working hard on it in the background. And so if you have pledged to just go to one of those shows on light, through my website, eastforest.org slash tour. Thank you. Thank you for that support. And anyone else can do that too. There's not really a financial commitment to do that. It's just saying you're interested. And then when it's ticketed and there's a venue, you can decide at that point if you want to go ahead and buy the ticket or not. So check that out. Um, And lastly, thanks again to everyone who signed up for the the Patreon, patreon.com slash eastforest. That is the East Forest Council. And you can join that anything from $4 a month and up. And it's a way of supporting this podcast that is more or less, well, it's it's free. I guess, you know, I, I promote East Forest stuff on here, but it's a labor of love on my part. I love diving into these conversations, but of course it does take, oh, I'd say about four or five hours an episode in total. And that's by joining the uh, Patreon, the East Forest Council. Uh, that's a way to support this podcast. And I offer things like podcast extras and unreleased music, advanced releases, live streams. We do a monthly Zoom council at a particular tier so we can do some one-on-one work um, and other things that I'm thinking about. It's just a way to have community, witness one another, dive in a little deeper and a way for you, if you wish, to support directly uh, the East Forest Project. So thank you so much for checking that out. Eastforest.org or patreon.com slash eastforest. And lastly, April 23rd through 26th, uh, I will be at the Esalen Institute. Also with Rada will be there as well as along with uh, Paul Stamets and James Fadiman and many other wonderful people. Some of them coming virtually because they're not able to come physically for something called the Anthea Wheel. It is a conference that will be uh, all about the science and ceremony of psilocybin, this particular conference. And I will be doing a live streamed ceremony concert that you can participate in watching. Or you could, there's a few spots if you would like to come to this entire uh, weekend retreat thing. Uh, and they're making a online course out of this that you could also participate in. So there's lots of uh, avenues in there. Probably the easiest thing, if you want to learn more, is just go to eastforest.org, hit that tour tab, and scroll down. You'll see the event, and you can click on the uh, the thing for more info. So I'm happy to be getting back there, and I'm just surprised I'm going somewhere else this month because, you know, it's been one of those one of those years. But I hope you guys are hanging in there, 
And let's just dive into this, this conversation with our dear friend, Michael Phillip. I know the benefits of extreme temperatures on both ends are myriad. And I'm very into the idea of starting a heat exposure practice, but I find myself struggling with that more than cold for some reason. Like it's just... Oh, really? Because the, the amount of time... Because really to reap, I think, the full benefits of a sauna, you got to go quite a while, like 20, 30 plus minutes, right? I've heard that. I mean, I tend to just kind of go in, get it as hot as I can. And then every time, and then I do like cold dunks outside and not for like extreme amounts of time. Just go out, jump Mm -hmm. in the icy water for a while. And then, and then I rest and then kind of do two or three or four of those cycles. And that's kind of the Russian Banya style. I, right. I spent some time there in grad school, and I just got that hammered into me. That although they beat each other with uh, oh yeah those birch yeah. or spruce yeah, yeah, yeah. or if you're yeah. really hardcore pine, yeah, you soak it in cold water and you hit your buddy, you know, right? And not at all homoerotic. Uh, no, not but... <laughs> at all. Not at all. Yeah, and and it's this this dovetails into one of my bigger fascinations, which is the almost magical array of awards that seem to come when you expose yourself to acute stressors. You know, whether it's cold, whether it's heat, whether it's long distance running, there are all of these built-in rewards that you get, these hormetic rewards, you know, neurotransmitters, subjective feelings of, you know, um, alleviation of depression, just so, so many different things to a level where it almost sounds like it can't be real. But if you look at the actual, this is like, well researched at this point, you know, it, it, it's good for everything. Basically, all cause mortality goes down significantly if you work a cold or a heat or both practices into your life, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, I've heard that. And that's one of the reasons I leaned into it. I, I just frankly enjoy the de-stressing. It, it really yeah. helps me clear my head. And there's nothing like just getting your body immersed in water, period, mm-hmm. clears your head. Just taking a shower clears your head. But yeah. even when I, I sometimes would swim and I always noticed that really like. So when you added in the whole sauna element, uh, and I had a electric sauna for a while, but I feel like there's nothing cleaner than just putting, I like the ritual aspect. Like yeah. You have to build the fire and you have to tend the fire. And then I'm pouring water on rocks on it to create the steam. And it's just, it's, and you have to chop wood. I have to carry water to fill the buckets. I mean, how much more straight ahead spiritual path can it be? than right. having to chop wood and carry water literally as yeah. part of this. So I like that ritual a lot. And Absolutely. So I've built a couple saunas and I've got it down to where it's not that expensive, relatively speaking, and they're very efficient. And you buy the stove on Craigslist or something, like an old cast iron stove. And that thing gets hot in like 15 minutes. You know, I get up to 160, 165, and that's plenty hot for me to just sweat, sweat, sweat. Mm. I'm sensing a folly-filled YouTube video where I try to follow the East Forest sauna recipe and I just fail miserably and look like adults. Because as much as I, I, I love the satisfaction of building something, there's this part of me that's like, I don't think that would go well if 
I tried to do it. I don't think it would go super well. Yeah, I mean it's fairly it's fairly straightforward, but I don't know. I someone once told me when I I was worked in construction for a couple years, and he says all construction is is fixing problems. Mm-hmm. You're always oh wait that doesn't fit right. How do we do this? Or like mm-hmm. okay that's not going to be what we thought. How am I going to get this window in? And that's all you're doing, which is part of the satisfaction of it. Yeah, uh, but it it inevitably never goes right as you think it would. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing about it that's just so magical. I mean, I I don't use that word lightly because I don't like to defer to language that's really obtuse and doesn't really magical precisely (laughs) what you're trying trying to say. (laughs) But 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 this is why I say magical because everybody's always you know preaching about the benefits of mindfulness, preaching about the importance of um, you know taking time to do inner work and. A lot of times these conversations devolve into total new age claptrap because it's just like people start using bug buzzwords and it's it's soon you don't know what the substance is, if any. Mm. But if you take a frigid shower, if you take an ice bath, rumination ends. You are right. in the like there is no you want mindfulness. How about a million ice cubes like pinging all of your pain receptors at once. And the only way you survive that is, you know, like you don't have a choice but to be mindful or you just fully panic. So that mm. that's what's so incredible about it is if like, if you have trouble sitting still, if you have trouble, you know, even doing a 10 minute meditation, if you can get yourself in a really cold shower or an ice bath, you are in the moment viscerally and completely. So that's yeah. that's so good for me because I I like I'm sure many people listening am definitely prone to ruminatory feedback loops and that always snaps me right out of it. They are presencing activities. It they're and they're the kryptonite of screens. Yes, I, I've done a couple podcasts in the sauna and uh, I, I find them to be relatively interesting, but. Let, let's well, let's parlay this into your world. Uh, so you have this world of the third eye drops podcast, and I don't even know actually what else is in your world as an individual. But um, maybe you could fill us in. But what would you say is a core commonality of that community? Uh, does it have something to do with a yearning for presencing or? finding a map through mm-hmm. this weird psychotechnic world that we're in. Cause I feel like that's something over here in the East forest world is all of us trying to figure out just how to live authentically, um, in the absurdity and the chaos and the pain and the grief and yeah. the joy and the wonder and all the things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, a, there's definitely a few core concepts and I used to really kind of shy away from, uh, putting myself, into any particular camp or philosophy. But over the over the years and over the course of writing like 80, 90% of a book now, I feel like I've constructed some language that I feel comfortable wrapping around it. And a couple of words that I always semi-tongue-in-cheekly use, but also are, are starting to get some sinew are the techno-dharma, and technodelic. And I feel like, like you just did, you know, connecting technology and meaning seems to be one of the core struggles 
of being alive right now. Because information, when you digitize it, you inherently make it disposable, right? Like if you you have one of something and you value that thing, that's a valuable thing. But if you have infinite amounts of something, you got to do some work to to see the meaning there. You you know, you you like I my Spotify music queue, man. I have no idea or or saved saved songs. No idea how many artists are in there. You know, a, a song comes on, I'm like, "Oh, I love this song." Unfortunately, half the time I probably can't name the artist. You know, that this is the situation we've we've found ourselves in. But that said, I think there still is a way to look at the larger gestalt of this technodelic situation we're in and imbue it with some kind of meaning. So so that's a core, that's a core struggle. That's a core question I'm always trying to think about. Because clearly, you know, this the McKennian novelty spikes aren't gonna end anytime soon, man. They're gonna <laughs> keep getting weirder. We're gonna keep metabolizing information faster and faster and faster. And that's not going to stop. So how do you ground within that? How do you still find meaning within that? How do you take time for the sacred within that? Maybe even how do you transmute that into something sacred? You know, like these are all core questions that I'm, right. I'm really concerned with. Uh, but there's well, more. There's a democratization of the digital, when, when you digitize something, and not yeah. only is it infinite, but the copies of it are exact in a sense there's no right. degradation like you make a vinyl record from a mother or a father or however it works and they get you can only make so many with that right so many children and mm -hmm. there's a very analog natural process to that like there's death involved and everything in our world is that way except for money right now which grows it doesn't decay really and so well <laughs> it inflation. depends on inflation. Yeah, but sort of the way we, the the way we've based the economy uh, on a debt based economy is that you know money sort of begets money. It can just grow uh, if you let it essentially not really do anything. It's mm -hmm. I mean yes, it's technically doing something in these mechanics of investments. But my point being, uh, it, there's there's an advantage and a disadvantage to the fact that it's like well we've broken down these walls where now we can reach people with these these copies of things and musicians can now they don't need the gatekeepers in quite the same way but then on the other side of the coin there's a sea of information and the information sickness that we all have to deal with and uh, maybe it's really just about people trying to figure out how to navigate that yeah how do we because there's a lot that, of good information out there too and there's a lot of good music out there for instance or right. podcast take take your pick yeah, on one hand, there's, there's there's so many podcasts. On the other hand, there's also a lot of good ones. Mm -hmm, <laughs> so mm -hmm. the yeah, calling but, seems to be how do you navigate it? Yeah, the problem doesn't seem to be a problem of information as much as it is a problem of orientation. You know, a, a problem of uh, contextualization. You know, it's it's not the fact that we need more ideas. It's that we we probably need fewer, honestly, and we probably need ones that are more aimed at directing us inward and getting us to the place where we do the thing 
that the contextualization happens. And you know, for you, the contextualization and orientation is music. You know, that that's the way that you figured out how to bridge this invisible gap between the meaning and the meaninglessness where inherently plinking on the computer and clicking on the mouse and playing the keyboard, you know, all of these things in and of themselves, they're, they're nothing sacred, right? Yet, yet for you and for so many people that listen to your music, it all comes together into something they would feel comfortable calling sacred. But within that, there is no one piece of technicality that makes it sacred. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that, I guess that is, if you ask me to give a nutshell of what my core preoccupation is, 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 it's, is that. Like, how do you find a soul-building way of living that makes you feel meaningful, that makes meaning for you? And I just ass backwards stumbled into my version of that being podcasting. And the way that I knew that's what it was is I left conversations feeling charged. You know, I left our conversation, for instance, a few weeks ago feeling charged. And, and, and that is something that is intangible, yet very palpably, subjectively real. And I think that's what we're all missing. You know, like, we, like when do we go outside the lines, right? When do we go outside the lines of the obligations, the things we have to do, the expectations, the, the, the name, the family, the job title, the degree to touch that thing, to even try to touch that thing. And, and that's what I've always been preoccupied with for my entire life because I look back on all of these sort of signal moments of childhood, like these little snapshots of like, feeling terrifically confused, you know, just <laughs> yeah. being in a church and being like, why? Like, why? I, I don't get it. I don't get why all these people are saying this. And I don't feel like if I was saying it too, I'd be feeling it, you know, <laughs> like I, it, same thing in school, same thing um, in pretty much every job I've had. So that's it, man. That, that, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin. So not super small town, but like 70,000 people. Um, yeah. Small enough Sometimes that I wanted those, to get the fuck out, for sure. Yeah, those. I, my town was Salem, Oregon. I think at the time, it was probably 100,000. That's always a tough yeah. size because it's like not really, it doesn't have as much of a sense of a center sometimes or personality, yeah. at least is what I found. And there's, there's like a malaise to growing up, at least maybe we had some similarities in that where it's just oh, kind yeah. of the, God. you're like well, definitely a lot of those why questions. Yes. And also there's, it just feels like nothing is real, but everyone's assuming it's all real. And I don't really see a pathway mm. out. I didn't have a lot of guidance or people to to look at and say, like, oh, there it is. There's yeah. the path. Everyone was just sort of satisfied with going to Costco and, right. yeah. you know, with the movie plex on the weekends. And, Same. <laughs> uh, but there must have been some some milestones in your path that you say as you stumbled into this discovery. I think looking back, though, can you connect some dots on some particular choices perhaps you did make knowingly or unknowingly that led to the place you're at now? Uh, yes and no. Yes and no. Um what what comes to mind for me that that 
that adolescent smallish town malaise is one of the biggest influences on my thinking in the last year or so has been this psychologist named James Hillman. I, I may have brought him up during our pod. Um, but, you know, everything that I've said, w- with the exception of some of my weird linguistic choices, like like Technodelic and Technodharma, uh, uh, could have easily come out of James Hillman's mouth. But he has a great book called Soul's Code, where he just, with beautiful precision and uh, an absolute glut of examples goes over all of these people who were, you know, high achieving artists or performers that all had very troubled childhoods. And, you know, some cases like Pulitzer Prize winning writers who like flunked out of school or like left school or, or mm. whatever. And, and I count myself my, minus the achievements. I count myself in those ranks of people who are just like, why in the fuck am I doing the things that I'm doing and and was truly feeling like I had my soul for in a vice for the vast majority of my my childhood and my school years. But um, in terms of things that really started to make sense, I, I truly can't reduce it back to a moment other than that intuitive felt sense of yearning for something else. And what... De- there, when I got older, definitely books and ideas and people started to come into my head that made me feel like, okay, this is something and and wanting to follow up on that and wanting to follow up on that. And then eventually, you know, the discipline of podcasting started growing a little bit. And, you know, you started hearing these long form rambling, but right. heartfelt and philosophical pods by people like Duncan Trussell. And like, I I remember living in Japan. I taught English there for a year and someone goes, dude, you got to listen to this podcast by these guys named Duncan Trussell and Joe Rogan. And I'm like, (laughs) oh, okay. You know, and so this was like 10 years ago now. Right. And just hearing it. And that was a moment. That was a moment where I'm like, this is a thing you can do. Like I could just do this right now. And I was kind of obsessed with rationalizing why I would be worthy to get behind a microphone and blast ideas for the next year or so until I actually started uh, doing it in its in its original weird form. Um, and it just kind of continued to snowball from there. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, these days, it's like, who isn't? Who doesn't have a right. podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's strange that the marketplace is encouraging everyone to have one in a way, which I'm not sure what their thought process is there on the on the business model. But it's like they want everyone. It's like, it's so easy. It's free. Just do it on your phone. And now you have a podcast. And uh, uh, I don't maybe they're thinking of that will help create a stronger marketplace of ideas. I, I don't know. But um there's there's a lot of options out there, and and oh, Duncan, so you know, I, I was just talking to Duncan the other day because uh, I, we reconnected on his podcast, and he's someone that's still not doing like video casting, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. It's like it's still pretty old school, and I like that. I preach that he's not being like, oh, I have this pressure, like I have to do that thing and this thing. Is like I just do what I like to do, and it's just basically a conversation, um, and it's real yeah. open ended. And that's that. 
Yeah. And it's successful, so why change it? You know, why? Yeah, exactly. Why continue to, yeah, yeah. And it's very him. And I think that's important is that it, if anything, you know, if I think about the commonalities of what people in my ecosystem, in the world that I'm a part of, I feel like there's something there about us yearning for an authenticity. Oh, yeah. And like we're all, we're all looking for our own authenticity and how to express that into the world. And I also think there's a hunger to receive that back from the world and from individuals. And there's not an easy answer to say, oh, oh you, you read this book or you, you take this vitamin and, and then the authenticity mm-hmm. comes. It's, a, it's an art, really, yeah. to express that form of who you are through your, your body language and your voice and your words and everything uh, and it's something you're constantly playing with. Like we, we do this all the time, naturally, when we're talking to people, uh, our loved ones, friends, and people we don't know. And we put on different hats and faces when we do it. But that seems to be something that for, it, 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 it's part of this techno dharma, this techno future that we're in. Is that we want, we hunger for more authenticity, perhaps because we're lacking those face-to-face interactions as much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's to me that's one of the most cryptic yet powerful human qualities that that infectious vibration that comes off of someone when you can tell whatever they're saying or whatever they're doing there is tremendous thought and care coming off of it Yet when people are really adept at it, it seems kind of effortless, you know? And I think when you mix all of those together and alchemize all of those together and expose them to the heat of enough time and doing, that might become something close to a recipe for authenticity. Well, it sounds like practice, right? And in some level, it's getting used to that inner critic and that, that imposter feeling and just sort of like working with it and being used to, it's just like running or something. It's like, well, now I know, I just know what it feels like to run 10 miles and I'm used to the pain. I'm used to what walls come up and I have some muscles to work through it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always that, there's that quality of efficiency, you know, and somebody who's great to me, like I play guitar, I played in bands and I'm okay. Like I, I, I can do my thing, but when you see someone who's like, you know, a really technical guitar shredder or piano shredder, and they just have that economy, you know, they like just can can sweep, pick, and play an arpeggio, and they're just like, ooh, like, what's more, like, what's more real than that, you know? Like, <laughs> there, there's reps behind that. Like, there, there's mm. undeniable thousands of reps behind that, and there, and, and when it comes to matters of the psyche and psychology and philosophy, it's not as transparent as that, but it's still true. Like you, you, you hear someone sharing ideas they're excited about and that they have a lot of fluency in, and that's exciting to people like you and me, you know, like that, that's infectious. They've done that the makes, reps. Yeah. yeah I yeah, like it, that. Yeah. And, and they want, and, and I also like too, when they share those ideas in, in a real like Greek dialogos sense. Like I, I'm not trying to tell you my ideas to change your mind, 
I'm putting them out there so we can play with them and improve them together through this dialogue, through you and me interlocuting, you know, like they would have back in that time when they were just excited about ideas, when they were just, you know, sure, arguing for whatever they believed, but they were ready to go back to the psychological drawing board and try to figure out, like, did this person just introduce something new that I need to uh, implement in my own philosophy? And and I think I think that, that hu- that's such a human desire. And it fell out of favor from what I from what I've read in academic psychology or uh, academic philosophy because you can't prove anything with it. You you can't write it down in a in like a sentential logic form and say, look, I logically proved this thing. But to me, that kind of philosophy is fu- so fucking boring, man. Like I, I want I want the philosophy that I feel. I want the philosophy that subjectively changes my life, that subject that, that energizes other people and excites other people, that makes them want to be on their own you know, sort of individual soul building uh, quest as cheesy as that sounds. Because if we're not doing that, like what, what are we doing? You know, what, what are we after right. with, with, I mean, even selfishly for, for me, like I, t- like I said, I leave these conversations feeling charged up. So if, if that's not what we're doing, what, what yeah. are we doing? There's only one game in town. And anytime we try to put our finger in or on something or put it into a concise box, it feels like on some level we're missing the point because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it's it's the mystery. And that's why I love art or yeah. music or any other kind of art because it's dancing around that mystery. It is the mystery like saying, this is a representation, it's metaphor. And that's the only way really to speak matters of the spirit because we have to be able to break out of the confines of the literalism of yeah. 3D reality in a sense. We have to represent it and create the metaphor mm-hmm. for us to be able to stay in touch with, with that which is larger than just our mind. You know, that's why being in nature can be so grounding or, um, or listening, to, listening to inspiring conversations because it's painting like a larger picture that somehow transcends something smaller. Um, and as you, when we started this conversation, you were talking about a lot of times in, in new age circles or self-help circles that languages start, started to be used sometimes in a way yeah. where perhaps in a sense it's being non-literal, but in that it's actually quite pointed and literal in its smallness. It's sort of saying, I'm going to throw out a word that could mean a lot of things, yeah. but I'm actually using that to put something in a box. Does that a word, make sense? Or a, a word like third eye, for example, <laughs> I have a relationship with the name of my own fucking podcast because it, it is supposed to be kind of tongue in cheek, kind of like those other words that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. but it at the same time does have something to do with what I'm talking about. Yet I would not at all feel comfortable putting that concept in any kind of easy to swallow box. You know, like, you know, like the YouTube videos are like five reasons you should never open your third eye. And then it, you like, watch <laughs> it and you're like, I don't understand what that video is even about. You know, like that that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, on some level, w- w- we need to have the the ability to 
speak in broad terms, but we do seem to be going through in this past year with with the social justice movement, racial justice, like all mm-hmm. of a sudden it was like, no, 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 you can't just say some of these things, whether they're quote unquote have larger truths, because it's like we're 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 owning language in different ways. Yeah. And I think we're we're sort of also recognizing how you can weaponize language and how, you know, by saying things like Trump would say, you know, I don't know if it's true, but blank, blank, blank. It's like, but we know what's going on there. It's like you're you're sowing dissent, you're you're planting seeds yeah. by by actually not being specific in in a way. So there is some kind of calling for us right now about specificity or saying I don't know. Um yes, or yeah, I'm trying to figure out exactly what it is, but we're in the middle of of some like shift in what's being asked of us with with language and ideas. Yeah, because we're we're inherently talking about something that you can't know. And I think that that desire for certainty really does undermine true, meaningful exploration. Because I do not think certainty in a metaphysical sense exists. I don't think you can be certain of what happens when you die. I don't think you can be certain about if there's even a larger meaning to life. I'm very sympathetic to the idea that there is. I'm very open to the idea that there is, but I don't know. I don't know Mm -hmm. if any of the psychedelic trips I've had, any of the intuitions I have, any of the philosophies I've read, I don't know if they're representing something true or if they're just playing with bits of matter. I think they are. I think there's probably more for, for a multitude of reasons, but I don't know. And I think in that not knowing and saying, you know, not even just saying, I don't know, in these big senses, I think saying, I don't know, in a mundane sense is important too. And I think that that, again, circles back into authenticity. You know, like, it seems like a very disarming human moment, you know, when someone says, I don't know, I truly don't know, but let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's, let's suss it out. Let's play with it. And I think a lot of times just by doing that, just by engaging in that play and engaging in that exploration and getting your hands on it, you're you're growing. You're so there's a there's a Greek, another Greek word that I really love, and it's anagage. And anagage is this idea that of climbing or of uh of ascent of the psyche, of the spirit, of the soul, of the mind. And the the most famous example is Plato's cave and, and also the matrix, you know, that somebody is essentially it's the Gnostic myth. You're, you're captured or you're somehow find yourself in a false or limited kind of reality, but you escape that and climb toward the light. But if you, in you know, the allegory of Plato's cave, let's say you get out of the cave, you're not in full reality. You're in a, you've made some kind of progress where you see the sun. Wow. What a revelation. But are you fully, do you know everything now? Like, do, do you understand all of the secrets of the universe? No, it's like now you continue and you continue and you continue and you continue until you die. And to me, there's this tremendous honesty and there's this tremendous gravity and just being on that kind of romantic, admittedly, maybe it's a hamster wheel, but 
there is something romantic about being like, I'm going to at least try. I don't know, but I'm going to at least try. And to me, that's that's the most authentic way that that I've found to be, you know? Well, there's something about feeling too versus just thinking and in a sense like you're feeling your way through the journey and the validity of that. Uh, it doesn't always have to be like an amalgamation of ideas or a destination of theses. Mm -hmm. It's like there's maybe that's something that I've been discovering in my own process of uh, just the validity of recognizing how I'm feeling my way through things maybe yeah. is enough as opposed to figuring it out yeah, or having an approach or I don't know, whatever it is. My mind always wants to do that. Okay. It's this or it's that, or I'm right. in or I'm out. It's a yes, it's a no, but what's my body saying? And, and it, maybe that is all, maybe that was the point was some sort of felt experience. But frankly, is there anything else? You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, have, have psychedelics, I'm assuming, played a role in the evolution of your path? And were they more about a felt experience in itself that was powerful? Or was it more about some sort of specific revelation, how that translated into your life? Yeah, they for sure have been. They absolutely have been, per particularly uh, the, the few heroic level experiences that, that I've had that just completely really drive home the idea of how strange reality or consciousness at least can be you know that that has a way of reinforcing and buttressing how truly incredible consensus reality and daily life are and how special they are that they like there's a do you know ralph abraham who uh he was part of those trialogues with terence mckenna and rupert sheldrake back oh yeah in the day. he was the third guy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but he was this brilliant mathematician, man. Like he he did founding work on like chaos theory and was like a tenured professor by the time he was like twelve, not twelve, but like in his twenties. Thirteen. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. And he he said something to the to the effect of and keep in mind this is coming from a great mathematician who deeply understands chaos. Said, "I'm troubled." by the level to which it all hangs together. He said something <laughs> like that. And that always sticks with me. And that seems to be the primary takeaway. I, I wouldn't say I'm troubled. I would say I'm relieved uh, on the other end of those experiences because I think you you sometimes need to go out into the psychic wilderness where you don't. there's nothing familiar and everything's topsy-turvy and thoughts might become words without you signing off on it or you, you're just gloss like flailing glossolalia or whatever throughout the trip um but i always come back like a whoo thank god kind of a, a feeling on the other end of those trips and and to me that is hugely instructive and it's always a reminder that whenever i go into those spaces i i, I I get something, but it's not what I expect. And that something is a kind of deeper appreciation for what we would typically call mundane life, stable life. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, I, I do too. I feel very, as I've gotten older, psychedelic experiences have made me more grateful for the nothingness 
the, the, the equilibrium of consciousness, like the ability to just sit and it's nothing and it's, it's calm and it's just there. I'm like, wow, what a gift is that? That's what I want to cultivate because that's really pleasurable to not be in a storm, you know, or a really intense experience. It's like, it's similar to recognizing how the health is your main thing. Like if you don't have your health, it gets real tough to be Mm -hmm. present, or I should say it gets real tough to deal with anything else when you're in pain or sickness, uh, and psychedelics can, can show you so many things and have, give you so many experiences, but, uh, they can also make you really grateful for just, just this, like the isness. Yeah. And I think if you can, sit in that that's a pretty big feather in your cap man if you if you can so the last chapter of my book actually is going to be called something like the marriage of the mystery and the mundane and it's about the idea of can can you implement that sense of wonder into your daily life in real time where you're so mindful of the, the insane amount of circumstances that must be occurring at all times for Earth not to spin out of its orbit, for you not to <laughs> drop dead, for the car not to whip around the corner and hit you. Like, can, can you actually walk through life with a felt sense? Like, there, there's no pretending this. There's no, like, you know, I could tell you that I'm in this state and it would be completely self-defeating exercise to tell you that I'm there. But if you can actually be there, that's incredible. I mean, that that is the closest thing probably to a kind of enlightenment, which is a word I don't really uh, enjoy. But I like kind of enlightenment. That's a better way of it. It's kind of enlightenment. And that's, yeah, that's good yeah. enough. <laughs> you know, what, what you were saying before about wanting your mind wanting to have answers and be sure and have a concept that you can hang on to. I think that in and of itself is a, is a big lesson because that's the sort of, um, I'm going to try to remember the actual Buddhist terminology, but there's this, there's an idea of, uh, reality is kind of has has two parts there's i can't remember the actual sanskrit words now but there's um small dualistic reality and then there's larger reality and it's not that one is not true and the other is true it's it's a both and so you know in the larger reality this is where we're all one this is prajna paramita perfect knowledge perfect wisdom um feeling like you're connected to the entire web and consciousness of being and all of these things. But then there's also the small reality where you have to go potty and you have to like feed yourself and you have to, you know, have concepts like hot and cold because if I go this high, I burn. And if I go that low, I get cold. You know, it's like, it's not that one is real and one isn't real. It's that our mind the human mind is this strange threshold object where it can, there's like this weird Venn diagram thing going on where we have an intuitive awareness of the former, of the larger reality, 
but we have a daily experience of the duality-based reality. And, and we're, we're constantly trying to, if you're on any kind of soul-making, purpose-finding, meaning-making quest, you're, you're trying to, to balance those two things. Um, and I think psychedelics come back into that too, because I think that they can push you further into that, what could perhaps be an ultimate reality or, or closer to that ultimate reality. Um, because the dualistic concepts definitely become a lot flimsier, right? It's like, you, you think it's, I mean, it's, it's sort of, I can, I feel like I have memories of a lot of times where it's like, you think it's this, but could it really be this? And then, you, you know, all of your concepts start to melt away and a lot of, uh, you know, veils between senses. I think we were talking about synesthesia on my, on my podcast, if I remember correctly, you know, just, just veil thinning, you know, dualistic, this is a sound, this is a sight, or is it both? You know, just, just a lot of suggestive, a lot of suggestive things happen to your psyche uh, under the influence. Yeah. And maybe, you know, being on a soul centric journey has something to do, I would think, with our connection with the planet we're on and being the fact that we are made of the constituent parts of the planet. And perhaps you could have the viewpoint we are the planet with eyes and ears and ideas and creativity. And and that could be why the more we get into a digitized mindset, it seems to which is also made of the planet. Yeah. But it 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 sort of amplifies the mind more than the imagination perhaps and it's not turning on the aspects of our being that have been through a million plus years of evolution that is part of our spacesuit of being an animal and that's part of this soul setting journey is being uh, in touch with the earth and in our sense it's like almost like it would make sense that psychedelic experiences that bring us back into an egocentric mindset or activities that do like hiking and walking and, and nature in general serve as an antidote because we're kind of de-digitizing our mind or, or really just de-amplifying a mind-centric life. And yeah. every month or every year, we get deeper and deeper into that. Mm-hmm. And the malaise continues and people's desire for something else, something deeper and bigger grows and grows and grows. And that's part of that authenticity we were speaking that people are looking for. In a sense, there's, a, is, there's an ecocentrism that they're hungry for. Yeah. I'm hungry yeah. for because it's you. It's the part of you that is not being fed and that is you. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I'm, I'm very, again, sympathetic to the sort of uh, Gaia hypothesis idea, you know, the James Lovelock idea of, and, and you know, the, again, the Greeks had this idea that uh, anima mundi world spirit kind of idea. Um, it, it is, it is definitely compelling. I have definitely had experiences, um, via psychedelics that do seem to be Gaian type messages for lack of a better term, you know, like, I mean, what percentage of people do you think have a kind of like, hey, dummy, you're fucking killing the planet kind of message or kind of download? And I've I've definitely had those. I, I had one experience in particular on a not very, not a very strong 
mushroom dose that I, I started calling the cosmic yes. And the cosmic yes experience was a sort of, felt like a reminder that of, of what we're supposed to be. And it's very similar to what you said. It's like, hey, you got this level of freedom so that you could do the mission of life spreading. You're the only being that has the capability to take this off of this little ball in the middle of a you know cosmic wasteland and put it on the next little ball and connect it and put it on the next little ball and connect it. And that's what you're supposed to be doing. Like we have one flower right now in, in a desert, in, in a frozen, absolute zero solar system desert, but you could make it connect to the next one and the next one and the next one. And you could spread the warmth and the love and the plants and the animals and the life, you know, it's like that, that's what it feels. And that's why I call it the cosmic. Yes, because it, it's like, a, are you going to embark on the great adventure of being with everything that comes with that, including more suffering, let's be honest, there's where there's life, there's also suffering. But do you say yes to it? And to me, I left that I left that experience with a very big yes in my heart of like, fuck, this is the great work. Like there, there's this idea of the occult great work, like the building of, uh, you know, monolithic structures and, and uh, cathedrals and pyramids. And, you know, these were like occultic great works. And it feels pretty clear that we don't have one of those as a civilization or a culture right now. And to me, that felt like the the, the final one, like the final one ah. is like, if you can spread it through the cosmos, that's the real great work. That's the real, uh, you know, taking your soul and putting it outside of your body, which I think, um, I think things like the pyramid, for instance, the pyramids, we're, we're kind of supposed to be. That's an interplanetary idea of our manifest destiny in a way. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I would, I would think it's, there seems to be a design to by the sheer distance of other things in the cosmos. It almost seems like it's obviously the case that you're meant to, to do stuff here. You know, it's like, it's so impossibly impossible to even talk to anybody else <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> like in the mm -hmm. universe through traditional means that it's like the, the real thresholds quickly become energetic and spiritual, or maybe that's the real, maybe psychedelics are the technology for travel. I, I, you know, I don't know because yeah. rivets and rockets seem to be a dead end. Uh, yeah. Yes, we could potentially get to Mars, but it's like, and then what, you know I mean? Certainly not going to be going to Andromeda or in, with those sorts of methods. So, uh, the thresholds of our technology of expansion of this manifest destiny you're describing perhaps have something to do with the heart. They have to do with feeling. We have to do with uh, the mystery, the mystery schools that have been explored for a long time. And isn't as much to do with our, the, you know, the weapon of technology that we are so proud of right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if we'll just keep smashing atoms and it's like, oh, and then we're going to find an even smaller particle and then we're going to know. <laughs> and it's like, mm -hmm. know what? <laughs> yeah. That things keep going? Yeah. Well, I mean, that did, that process did lead us to the the Higgs field, the, you know, the, the, the God particle. And to me, man, like I don't even 
fully understand what was going on there. But what I do understand in and of itself is pretty goddamn miraculous. Like if you, so for instance, if you succeed and they've done this in experiments from what I understand, if you succeed in creating like a true quantum vacuum of no particles, the Higgs field instantly kicks in and starts creating quantum particles and you know because on the on the quantum level again from what i understand everything is based off of very uh in these particles everything's based off of very subtle differences like small very small changes in mass and spin and whatever and what determines that is this higgs this larger higgs field which is like just everywhere all the time and it's again you can almost think of it like the fabric of that that's holding everything together you know so i mean in a way that that to me could be a kind of spiritual revolution. i don't know man it sounds like dark matter to me we're just like oh, yeah that too what there's is that? this thing out there that's pretty much everything and we're calling yeah. it dark matter we don't know what it is it's basically the thing that we don't know what it is or we can't see it we don't can't measure it other than its absence of something else and um some of it's just comical, but I mean, it's, it's the fact that you have to build something bigger and bigger and bigger across multiple countries to see something smaller and smaller yeah, and smaller. It's like, I could see yeah. that going on forever, you know, <laughs> take a, take some mushrooms and you quickly be like, oh yeah, that, that experiment would continue. I'm sure mm -hmm. uh, as above, so mm -hmm. below. Uh, mm -hmm. but I love this idea of, of the cosmic yes. And yeah. I think that's a wonderful metaphor in itself. When we talked about metaphor being the mechanism of dealing with these things larger than the mind, you know, for matters of the heart, for matters of the soul. So thank you for sharing that idea with us. The yes. My, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. And, and it's funny because at the very end of the trip, I, I sort of think, well, maybe it's the cosmic no, because in Buddhism, <laughs> the whole idea is to just stop you know, stop with the worldly attachments, stop with the incarnations, you know, s stop with the desires, like just, just be done with it. You know, that that's the freedom. And then I left it feeling slightly con like conflicted, but I'm like, maybe I'll change my mind to the cosmic no when I get older. But right now <laughs> yeah. it feels like the cosmic yes is, is what I'm looking for. It depends where you are in your life path. When you're an old man, you can be, you can be a cantankerous no. Okay, <laughs> but yeah. you know, two two sides of a coin. It's at the end of the day, it's just sort of uh, uh, the cosmic falling in, the cosmic mm. blossoming, and maybe it's just however you engage with it, it's happening. So it's just like what flavor helps you surf. Yeah, and I mean, maybe maybe I'm missing the point or something with the idea of of physically building infrastructure in these places. And there really is something about our own consciousness that has the ability to to do some kind of, you know, psychonautic travel, as crazy as that sounds. But I mean, isn't that essentially what every uh, ancient culture did with their sort of cosmo-theological... Um, I would think, yeah, there's like, trying to expand. And like every work we are now, I'd imagine that's always been going on, you'd think, right? To make sense of it all and how do we travel and... Perhaps they they had more success than we do, uh, because man, everywhere you look, people were finding ways to dive really deep, yeah, really deep into that inner space. 
Yeah, but and, and at the same time, like gain knowledge of outer space, like the Mayan calendar and the super long, accurate mm-hmm. systems of astrological measurement and like, you know, the fact that every single culture had an astrology. I mean, there's, you know, the there's Western psychology, Western astrology, Eastern. It, it's it's uh, clearly South American. Um, yeah, I, I that's a definitely a core curiosity is is what what is the Egyptians as well? I mean, you know, every every myth was like astro theological, like the idea that the sun literally is the ark carrying the pantheon of the gods and that's Osiris. And, you know, it's like that, that is part of their theological canon. And there's also this weird idea that I've run into many, many times reading about this stuff now. And it's the idea of like human souls and stars holding some kind of parody. Um, I'm Mm. sure you, you, you've possibly seen that at some point, like in, uh, like a lot of times, you know, the idea of like a star falling is supposed to signify a death or a, um, in various myths, a, a star is kind of born when a hero dies or something like that. I saw Young, uh, in Young's Red Book, he has some weird lines about how, you know, if you if you kind of, if you fully individuate, you fully soul make, you sort of get to live in in cosmic peace as a star and stuff like this it's like these are (laughs) ideas that for some reason they've been around cross-culturally for forever seemingly well the stars are stars are a big deal and for all of human existence were the main show in town and quite a show until really the industrial revolution when we started getting electricity, staying up at night and creating pollution and so forth. And so I think for a lot of us, we're not really recognizing how obvious and pervasive and massive that was forever. When I'm, when I'm down in, in Southern Utah, we're at 7,000 feet in one of the darkest places in the United States. It really hits me every time I'm out there, especially on the, the moonless nights. It's just unreal. You know, the, the Milky Way is just Boom, right there in front of you and stars from horizon to horizon and all and the planets. Uh, that was that. How could that not play a major role of fascination and, and, and informing just what life is? So nonetheless, I mean, I look at it just like a big dummy, like, man, I just see a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, how would you ever figure out yeah. what all what's going on and the procession of things? And it, it's remarkable. It's really remarkable. Yeah. Have you tripped amongst that kind of a view? Because when I was in Peru, that was the best view of the stars I've ever seen. But Mm -hmm. we were not allowed to be outside of the Maloka area. You know, this was an ayahuasca retreat, I should have said. But Mm -hmm. every time you would come out, and if it was a clear night, it was just like, you know, just like the, the majesty of that view was there. And I would always think to myself, how crazy would this look if 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 they would let me go outside for just like five minutes how crazy would this look because i can't even imagine and and we know you know that all of these indigenous cultures for instance had these alkaloids and they had this view so i can't i can only imagine the combination of the two must have been remarkably profound on the human mind yeah 
I would think eventually everything just starts to, to turn into a, you know, the visual fee- field starts to really shift in a way that eyes open or closed. It's it all becomes this internal connection anyway. Yeah. But yeah, I it's something that I would recommend to anyone if they can do it is just try to do more stargazing or get to places where it's just very humbling and so is places that are still wild and usually those places have these these elements go together and it it does something really wonderful to your head and to your heart and i think it's linking you back to an experience that humans have had for so long uh that's you could add to the list of that which we're missing now that is a it's a food for us it's a vitamin Yeah. yeah, yeah, the wonder vitamins are real, man. That is absolutely real. And that, again, I think is something that when we get into the minutia of our little digital realities and the numbers associated with those things and the 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 rumination and the repetition, we're being pulled further and further and further away from that expansive, slower, enraptured mindset. And there's research on this too, like, similar to mindfulness, awe and wonder has a really profound effect on your brain and your mind and your sense of well-being and your sense of purpose. And it's funny because it's like all of these things, you can't you can't point to why you do them or what the outcome is, but you do come out of the other side with a subjective sense of something good. You know, similar to what I said about how I leave a podcast. It's like if you expose yourself to that kind of an experience, to an awe-stoking experience where you get those wonder vitamins, it has a profound effect, man. And where do we go for that? You don't see them. You don't see the stars in the city. Uh, like the best thing you're probably going to get is music or like a really riveting, moving uh, movie or something like that. But I know, isn't that, it funny probably, that we're, we're we're trying to do like VR? As a mechanism of like doing just, I mean, yeah. uh, there were times I was at Burning Man and I was like, you know, the coolest thing I saw was probably the moon on one of those nights or one of the rainbows. I was like, I mean, that was, that was cooler and more fulfilling to me than any of the crazy art that I saw or mm-hmm. human achievements. It's it's hard to top that. And uh, it it's a way to, it's a way to say yes, as you say, too. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. I mean. I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, all these ideas and uh, maybe something about third eye drops is is just about tickling that third eye, tickling the wonder. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, it is a cosmic yes in itself to say, you know, be playful, go explore, find the yeses for you, find the things that mm-hmm. awaken that part of your own mind and heart. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, you know, again, admittedly, lifting from uh james hillman a bit he he had a great riff i think it was in one of his lectures it might have been in uh in a book as well but sort of a riff on like you know what like like fuck answers like we don't really need more answers like if you got great questions that you're constantly curious about and and searching after and digging into i would rather have that i would rather have that and that's what i that's what i try to to bring and and at least sprinkle into people's minds you know a, a little bit on a weekly basis yeah. hopefully is like a little more curiosity a little more hmm, hmm. uncertainty brings that. wonder certainty yes. brings closure a hundred percent my friend 100%. i love it well 
then we will end this by saying, we don't know. We are uncertain. And uh, we end it by saying yes to that. Yeah. And yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Not I, not, I don't know, but I don't know. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so you're, you're easy to find, but uh, where's a good place to point people to? Uh, thirdeyedrops.com. On, uh, it's on the socials as well. On Instagram, it's at Third Eye Drops with with underscores in between because I couldn't I couldn't get it just the best way. Some hippie before. already took that one, I guess. Some other hippie, yeah, some other hippie got it before me. <laughs> well, thank you, Michael Phillip. It's been wonderful connect, and I look forward to doing it again. Likewise, my man. Thank you so much, Michael, for for coming on and giving us your time and your thoughts. We love all those third eye drop thoughts. Uh, Check out his podcast if you get a chance. And hopefully he and I will get to cross paths in real life at some point and certainly in the digital space again. This song that you're hearing in the background is Possible. And Possible is the first track off of my new studio album that is also called Possible. Every few weeks I'll be releasing another track uh, leading up to the full 11 track album Uh, in mid-July. We also have the vinyl available in a pre-order. That's all at eastforest.org if you'd like to check that out. And yeah, lots, lots more coming. It's really excited to like start the rollout on all this and just start sharing with you a lot of this work that's been happening in the background. Thank you again to our Patreon East Forest Council supporters and members If you'd like to check that out and and see about joining our East Forest Council exclusively on Patreon, check it out, patreon.com slash eastforest. And thank you again for subscribing and reviewing and just being a listener and uh, doing what you do on this planet Earth. Uh, We're going to keep doing it, all right? And thank thank you for being here. For now, though, keep walking that walk. Don't take any shit, but if you do, do it with grace. And we close off our ears to all the lies we're told I don't know how this ring will sound to me I lay down my arms, open the bars and build it Could you let go? Could you let go?
Could you let go? Could you let go? Could you let go? 